This episode of Beyond the Jargon was produced on Treaty 7 territory, home to members of the Blackfoot Confederacy, which includes the Bikani, Siksika, Kana, Stony Nakoda, and the Sutina First Nations. Treaty 7 is also home to the Métis Nation of Alberta Region Number 3. This episode was produced for CFUV Radio, a station that is situated on the traditional territories of Lekwungen and Wasanich peoples, whose historical relationships with the land continues to this day. Maybe it's a sound that no one else seems to hear, or a vivid depiction of something that no one else seems to see. Maybe you've described it as having had a bad trip after using certain substances, or perhaps it was a symptom that was brought about after having experienced extreme trauma or stress. When we step into the worlds of people experiencing psychosis, what sorts of things can we expect to see, hear, or become attuned to? In today's episode of Beyond the Jargon, we'll be talking about ways to understand people's perceptions of reality as they experience psychotic episodes, and we'll be exploring the role that the psychotic imagination can play in destigmatizing these things. Welcome to Beyond the Jargon, a podcast that aims to explore the work of graduate students at the University of Victoria in a more demystified way. I'm your host, Funaro Busoye, and today I'm joined with anthropology PhD candidate Luke Kernan. Anthropology is, is an interesting field in and of itself because you can do a lot of different things with it. For me, it's kind of like understanding how to broaden your understanding of, of what the human experience is and what does it mean to be human. listening and myself, how would you describe anthropology and how would you describe art or writing and the relationship to each other? So in terms of what the work I do, it's kind of like complicated. I'm kind of boring from a lot of different sub-disciplines. Um, first, I should also clarify that I'm, like, I'm also a creative writer and I also practice arts aside from anthropology. So I kind of wanted to blend and weave those things together. That's kind of why I've do this kind of interdisciplinary work. So within anthropology, there's lots of different subdisciplines. Like initially my master's topic was in indigenous storytelling in Australia. So I kind of like to bring that thread in itself. So I, I look at definitely story and narrative and myth and most all of the kind of work that I do. But then I, I guess like with this topic, it relates more to medical anthropology. Medical anthropology kind of looks at experiences of health and culture and lived experiences of those things. And like, how does that give us insight into like, those processes? Uh, people often don't think about researching the sensory states of being and psychosis narratives when they think of the field of anthropology. Because it may not be obvious, how is your work related to the field of anthropology? Yes, again, I understand and appreciate why there may be a bit of confusion here for any persons who are less versed in anthropology. My research topic is innovative in a lot of regards, but I'm grounded in the discipline itself, particularly in how I approach my questions in fieldwork. 
There are a few key subfields of anthropology that have dealt with aspects of my project and of which I have addressed in my PhD literature review and exams. For instance, there is an area known as medical anthropology that deals with things like madness and psychiatry. I would point to anthropologists like Ellen Corrin, uh, Tanya Lerman, and Neely Myers, who have each studied aspects of psychosis and culture. The sensory framing may be less explored, but that is directed to my interest in visual anthropology and comics as a medium for um, expressing sensory worlds and creating a sense of these episodes uh, through psychosis. My project is a collective storytelling endeavor to provide participants with an opportunity to narrate their own psychosis narratives through art. I mean, I think that makes sense. And something I wanted to clarify is that you stated your research uh, is regarding the sensory states of madness within people's psychosis narratives. Would you mind breaking down this idea so that we can get a better sense of what this really means? So I guess like uh, uh, tackling this this idea um, of kind of sensory states of madness, particularly what I'm looking at are like the altered states of consciousness or intense moments in one's life and how reality breaks down in those moments. So like, how do we understand the senses through that? And then typically what people go through is like an episode of psychosis. So there's like a period of time that people are um, engaged in these sensory moments where like they'll be having different hallucinations because of like all this internal stress that they're dealing with. So I try to look at like how to understand and reframe those moments of psychosis. And like you get a bigger understanding when you look um, at different cultural contexts of how different people and societies deal with those moments of psychosis or madness. Um, and that, that's kind of what I wanted to do my research on is looking at that it's interesting to see like in how in different cultures like in North America there tends to be like a more in terms of hallucinations and schizophrenia when people hear voices they tend to be more like aggressive and violent but in different cultures let's say like maybe in India or other places like there's also kind of more of a trend for sometimes the the voices to be more benevolent and that that kind of deals with some of the previous research that has been done on psychosis so depending on like how these things go like people have different experiences with these altered states of mind so gaining more understanding of how these people experience the senses is kind of where i want to kind of focus my research and see like how people are framing it within canada and particularly in victoria where i'll be doing my research so just getting an understanding of how people are dealing with those things so kind of creates a framework for understanding how it happens here and then how we can build an understanding of people who don't necessarily go through experiences of madness or psychosis but try to kind of better understand that experience so they can have compassion a lot of the fear behind it is because people don't really understand what is going on internally for a person and, and the outside manifestation of these things like psychosis or madness can be very scary for people who aren't even experiencing like everyone's kind of witnessed moments where people have behaved oddly and like in emotional duress so just being able to understand what they're going through kind of prepares us better to deal with that in terms of like a discussion and in terms of how our community wants to respond to those things. Because I think like the greatest source of health is how a community deals with it, not necessarily the the systems that we have in place in terms of like the medical system. I think it's more of the community that is important to kind of deal with these these issues. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting you mentioned the difference in communities and maybe just sociologies when you're talking about psychosis narratives with the example you gave, you know, there might be more benevolent narratives from a different country as opposed to here in North America. I'm just curious as to why that is. There is like a reason for that and a theory behind like why there's differences in different areas. And so 
when you talk about psychosis narratives, are you talking about all forms of psychosis? Um, so I guess like maybe that that question, like if we can kind of clarify better what I mean about psychosis narratives, like psychosis, as I said, is, is a breakdown of the structures of reality. So in terms of like how that narrative plays out for that person, that's kind of what a psychosis narrative is. It isn't necessarily psychosis itself, but like I think all forms of psychosis will have kind of a narrative structure, even if it looks very unfamiliar, because of like how drastic difference between like the internal experience that the person is having versus like the experience that the observer outside witnessing the person having psychosis would be like. So just kind of coming to terms with those two things. But yeah, when I mean psychosis, like I mean like all forms of psychosis, but um, there's a lot of different ways that that, that experience can be achieved, whether it's like a pre-existing mental health condition. And then there's definitely certain mental health conditions that produce that more often, like bipolar and certain types of bipolar and schizophrenia but there's even like alzheimer's can produce psychosis like symptoms and yeah it's just like the like even like people who go who fast too much or like if you put the body under enough stress like you'll probably have an extreme reaction like psychosis and a lot of times with psychosis it's like there's a point where people don't really understand what's going on it's kind of that terminology where you're kind of at the extreme end of human consciousness and that's kind of where we put that borderline of understanding it but yeah and a lot of it has to deal with our notions of personhood and self so when those notions of reality and our self and personhood kind of all collapse like our sense of who we are in the world and how we experience the world kind of changes rapidly but it's just the attempt to try to understand it through story and narrative is probably a one of the easiest ways to communicate it and try to build new languages around that and build new story structures that could capture what psychosis is like. Why have you decided to explore this topic in specific? Uh, for me, like there's like a lot of kind of pressures that kind of decided why I decided that. I mean, initially, my master's research is very different in doing indigenous storytelling in Australia. But I think like for me, I, I started kind of volunteering in mental health communities like in Kelowna with the Canadian Mental Health Association. So kind of getting access to that community and coming across like different art. Like I work in comics as a uh, as a writer and a brainstormer and I'm working on my own professional series. So I kind of wanted to find a way to bring that skill set to anthropology and in terms of like illustration and representation and that ethnography. So ethnography is like itself kind of like how the document that kind of people write about culture. So it's kind of the writing of cultures and just kind of bringing that skill set to me. Um, I was looking for a different stuff to when I was forming my PhD application and topic. And there's one um, comic that I found really useful. It was called Hoax Psychosis Blues. And it's a UK writer talking about their experience, their brother's experience of schizophrenia and just kind of like looking at how that comic portrayed um, their brother's uh, schizophrenia kind of made me really want to kind of delve into these kind of topics. And then also just like my own personal um, experiences of like mental health issues and kind of dealing with those things kind of drew me to this topic. And I thought it was would be a really good way to kind of challenge myself as an anthropologist and artist to kind of delve into this topic. And I haven't really seen many examples like that, although like you can see bits and pieces of your what your work is like everywhere but like the stitch work and the exact assemblage of what your project is usually is like unique to to what you're doing mm -hmm. and uh, what are the products or outcomes you hope to attain from this study right now like i'm, I'm just heading into field work and the first phase of the research project is basically arts-based workshops so we'll be doing basically like arts groups where people will try to 
represent their experiences of psychosis, like their sensory experiences. So using drawing and art to kind of convey that. So the first, the first outcome is just to produce art from people who have experienced psychosis. So get a collection of that to kind of understand what people's sensory experience of psychosis is like. And there are definitely other archives that I want to be looking at, like Less Impatience in Montreal has a huge collection of art created by people with mental health conditions. And it's called, there's a particular term for it, like mad, mad art with a capital M. And that's to deal with people um, reclaiming their sense of identity through madness, similar to other liberation movements as well. So the, the first phase, the outcome will be just kind of getting art from people who've experienced these things. And then the second phase will be kind of like going deeper into interviews about the, the yard and their own experiences. So kind of being able to frame that properly and understand like what kind of journey they went through um, during their, their moment of psychosis and the kind of how that can kind of re- get integrated into understandings of like where they were then and how they've kind of grown from that moment. Um, and then the, like the last phase, which is, I guess, one of the direction of the project is to take a few of those people who have done the art and done the interviews and kind of want to take the next step in developing a comic book around their own um, experience of psychosis. So that's kind of where my idea of ethnography is kind of shifting towards more of a visual representation of ethnography. So they'll have the ability to kind of think through their own story and work and collaborate on what that experience would be like and scripting it and, and how it'll get illustrated. So all those kind of things will bring together in the project and be like one of the final outcomes. So in a sense, it'll be like a dissertation that talks about the experience of psychosis through uh, participant artwork and interviews, but then kind of also letting them kind of tell their own story while working with the anthropologist who's also um, practicing in comic books um, in terms of that that format and way of thinking in artwork. So kind of bringing those all together, that that's where the main objective of, of this project is to have like an example of like, this is what people go through and then you can kind of like, think about that in terms of the people you've known in your life and what they might have gone through. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting how you're choosing to do that. So to get this right, there'll be um, a visual representation by the people experiencing psychosis themselves. And then you're going to kind of take that information and also represent it your own way. Um, yeah, I mean, so it'll be kind of like a collaborative process. Like they'll create their own art. I'll interview with them about the art and then, will take the that understanding of what that experience is like to more of a story format. And with that, I'll, I'll be more acting as like a, a co-writer, but like essentially it will be their story, but I'll be helping to kind of make, help them tell their own story. If that makes sense. So like, it'll be their, their journey of psychosis and then kind of bring, bringing it together in, a, in an anthology of individual stories to kind of give a sense of what that, like, depending on how many people are interested in doing the last part. I think a lot of people don't never get the opportunity to tell their story and it kind of just sits inside them. So this is a moment where people actually are interested in saying, like kind of exploring with people what that might be like. Yeah. And so is that the stage that you're in so far? Oh, so so right now I've just like a few weeks ago got approval for ethics. So that's kind of like a big hurdle for this kind of project because it is a high risk project given the vulnerable population. So even being able to get to this point is kind of really important. So right now I, I've, like, I've already made contact with a lot of the organizations, the mental health organizations I'll be working with, and they kind of know that, that this is coming along and they're interested in participating like the early psychosis intervention program in Victoria. 
um, through Island Health. They, they were going to be working with me as well on this project. So right now I, I have approval. So I'll, I'll be thinking with my supervisor how we want to go about recruiting people. So getting people interested in, in joining the workshops. Now this is the first phase. And then from there, we kind of go into interviews and and the comic book um, research creation phase. So right now we've just, just starting research and but now we can officially let people know that they can join the project. Mm-hmm. How do you think you'll go about that process and where do you think you'll put call-outs for, for that? Uh, so currently with the current ethics I have, everything will be online. Um, so it's just um, given the pandemic right now, we decided that we want to initially start with just everything being online. So like the interviews, I mean, the um, the workshops and the interviews and the research creation process that all be done online through platforms like Zoom and Microsoft Teams. So, but um, we'll, I'll, I'm in contact with the mental health organizations. So uh, ones I will be working with are the Epi program, Foundry, Victoria. Then there's another there's another Facebook group that deals with mental health and art that I'll be working with, and then mental health recovery partners as well. Um, I also have like online postings with, it's called like participant oriented research. So Island Health has these like huge lists of research projects for, for patients to kind of attach themselves to. So people who have a diagnosis of um, like say schizophrenia or bipolar that produces psychosis or they'll be able to join with that through Island Health and different 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 avenues. And, and again, I'm not necessarily working with a whole whack of people like my the amount of people I'll probably working through the project is going to be around 15 and maybe say five of them end up doing the comic but even five like two to five powerful examples is enough because psychosis and these experiences of of when reality breaks down like they're different for every, everybody so you're never going to be able to explore all of it it's just to get an initial sample of what it's like and so it was stated that you were interested in imaginative ethnography and how comics poetry and inter-arts narratives can be incorporated in anthropological writing. Can you define imaginative ethnography and its applications and uses just to declunkify that statement? Yeah, I mean, that's probably a jargon-heavy um, statement, and maybe I should kind of revise that for public. But um, I like you kind of have to understand like the tradition of what ethnography is in and of itself. Like, Typically, ethnography, as I, as I said, is when, so usually anthropologists will go to a field site and make um, connections with the community. And from there, they'll like, they'll be participant observers. So they'll, they'll observe what people are doing, they'll participate in society. And then from there, they'll usually take a bunch of notes, like about those processes. Usually, and usually they'll interview people. And that'll be like the bread and butter of what ethnography usually is. And from all the, those note-taking and information, they'll try to write about a certain thing in that culture, say like food or marriage or kinship or all those different things. And the, those kind of monographs are what usually ethnography is. And it's usually print-based, um, kind of like text-based. So like imaginative ethnography is kind of further down in like revolutions of what ethnography should be like. So they kind of like changes the, the frame of it. So we're trying to add different ways of representing the, the knowledge itself and so it's taking like different arts and creative practices to kind of change how the text of ethnography is. So it's not no longer just a, it can be a print thing. It can be like an exhibit. It can be a comic. It can be a video, like all those things, like to try to break up the idea of it. So you're trying to capture the feeling and essence and tone of what a culture is like through creative practice. So that's more of what ethnography tries to do. It tries to break through like the, the classical notions of what ethnography is. Yeah, I think that clarifies it a bit. And so 
what is comics poetry text? So yeah, that's like a fairly new genre. I guess it's like people are familiar with what like a comic strip is usually like with their different panels and like the little captions and like characters having like dialogue and stuff. I think what comics poetry is, it's it's more of like maybe a fine arts understanding of what a comics is and it kind of tries to introduce like poetic practice to to the writing of it, but also like maybe there could be poems inside of the actual comic. So it just jar it's just playing with like the notion of, of that text and like making it more poetic and more fine arts, I suppose. And as, as an artist you kind of like want to to kind of play with those forms um but i mean the comic itself just gives you a sensory window into to a different universe and i think just being able to play with more fine arts and poetry or different kinds of writing gives you more tools and how you want to represent things so it's basically just like me broadening my ability to represent and bring in the, the skill sets i already have so that's kind of why i was interested in in comics poetry text versus what people are, are more used to comics is like a comic strip there's different terms they could use like sequential narrative or um, graphic narrative like they're all different terminologies or even graphic novel um, depending on how you want to market and think about it but a comic is a comic to me and and I see different possibilities with it so that's kind of why I'm trying to like also use different terminologies so people don't get stuck in what they think it is Mm -hmm. yeah and there's a really good example of like I guess comics poetry text or a graphic novel that we'll discuss later, but I was going to ask you why you've decided to use this medium of comics poetry to accompany your dissertation. Um, I guess for me, like I'm already kind of practicing those genres, um, although kind of more separately, like I publish poetry regularly, so I kind of don't want to give up that, that sense of things, but I guess it also really depends on the persons themselves and how familiar they are with their own artistic practices and where they are I'm not like requiring people to be artists but I guess just to to explore um so I guess that's kind of why I decided to do it out of my own interests and seeing like the possibilities and I think like when you're dealing with things like um psychosis where language kind of is hard to use to describe it I think you kind of have to break into poetry to kind of kind of break the form of language to kind of accommodate things that just don't make sense. And that's kind of why it almost ends up being very visual and, and poetic visual because you're trying to talk about all of these senses that don't make sense and like, how do you parse it together? So I think that's one way of like tackling it. Um, and that's why I decided to do it. I think this project makes sense to use these methods. No, I completely agree. And I'm excited to see kind of the outcome and like the visual effects that that would produce. Uh, so that's really interesting. Uh, and then what is an inter-arts narrative and why have you decided to utilize this? Um, so I guess like for me, that's just more jargon. And what I mean by inter-arts, it's just like, okay, someone's really good at illustration. Someone's really good at music and like someone's really good at, at poetry or whatever and like slam them all together. So inter-arts just means more than one art, artistic medium or practice. Like I, if I have people that have other abilities besides drawing but I think that's like even depending where you are in the skill set of drawing I think that's just most most common for everybody to pick up like a pencil and paper but if I have some people that are are more musically inclined I'll try to figure out ways to incorporate that within their narrative so depending on what the people I have like that's always with anthropology who your community is they're the ones that know and you kind of go with the flow of their knowing and and I guess their ability and practice and their desire to learn but we'll also be doing like 
a fair bit of workshops. So within those spaces, we'll be able to explore like what their potential is and where they want to explore. And then even further, if they want to take that in terms of like, if they're, they're wanting to, to do other stuff in terms of art practices, in terms of how, how we can represent that in the comic or play off of it, or like maybe we could do a CD accompanying the comic and you can play the CD while you're reading like of them doing music and like how that can change the experience of reading the comic that they made. So I'm really open to whatever people want to do. It just, that's the whole, it's the exploration space that I'm really interested in that will be kind of forming throughout the workshops and the interviews and the, uh, the research creation phase with the comics. So that's what I mean by interarts is that the ability just to, to, to combine different forms of art and to try to tell a story. So the story is itself an experience, like the painting gives you a visual sense of it. Like the poetry gives you a different sense of narrative. And like, depending if they're using other things like sound or, or music, that can kind of give a different narrative. So when they all kind of combine together, you get a different experience. So just the idea of blending and mixing is interesting to me. I really like that. And so then in your study or the one that you compose yourself, because all of those would be individual experiences and individual art compositions, uh, would you kind of be combining these or have you thought about that? Um, like initially that like I knew that people have different abilities and like, well, we have resources to kind of give them like a gift package of different art supplies and depending on what they want, that can be whatever they want. Um, and it really depends what they're comfortable. If they're more comfortable with music, we can try to accommodate that. But initially, yeah, I was thinking more of like, at the minimum, it's going to be a graphic novel, but I'm I'm willing to expand the notion of what that means or what the notion of a comic means. And like, even itself as a text, like I, I'm, I would be interested in to see what that, how to translate that comic into an exhibit. Like I recently went to the Imagine Van Gogh exhibit and just in terms of like an immersive experience, like the more immersive I can, can make it the better and that that kind of demands like blending stuff together like the music in the van gogh like if there were new was no music in the van gogh exhibit it wouldn't really be the same so i think like part of it is just trying to use every sensory modality and what art form plugs into that sensory modality and combining together to give like the fullest expression of what that might be like it's different if you just like read an, a, a, an experience of someone going mad versus like seeing drawings of somebody going mad versus seeing a music to kind of accompany that, all those different things kind of like laying onto it. Although like there, I guess like ethically you might not want to, for some people it might be too much to go too, too much into that experience. Um, but like it gives you a sense of like that these are intense experiences and they have just different layers and like the print only does so much and you can kind of dismiss the experience when you just shuffle read by it. So that's kind of why I want to, confront people with the art of it. The family-run Fry's Bakery offers all sorts of delicious sourdough bread, from German rye to baguette to seven grain. Their breads are made with local freshly milled flour and organic ingredients. Stop by for sourdough and other treats at Fry's Bakery in Vic West, 416 Craigflower Road, or find them online at friesbakery.com. And so can we talk about your arts-based workshops? What would these entail? Um, so I guess the, the de design of it initially was I, there'll be, be about like an hour and like there'll probably be not that many people because they're like, again, it's easier to kind of focus on a smaller group of people. So maybe like seven or eight people in one workshop and 
they'll, there'll be like maybe some logistics stuff we'll go through and it'll be like a prompt. Um, but most of this, the workshops, each of them, like the five sessions or so that we'll do, um, they all have to deal with like aspects of story and narrative um, in terms of it, like defining what the sensory experience is like, um, defining like place and setting, like characters and like your growth aspects. So different things, like I have like a schedule, can't quite remember all the different activities, but like they're just like taking the, the basic elements of what a narrative is like and then doing different workshops that might accommodate that. So you kind of, even like the workshops itself is kind of like a building a proto story that you will kind of talk about within the interviews. And if they're interested in, in kind of developing into a story, we have like a proto story through their artistic representations that will build into the comic. The idea of just the workshop is to to give people the time to to do that work and not like, other than having the prompt and having people doing the art at the same time, like I have no mandate for what that should be. I just give them free license to do what they want. They kind of understand that it's about their psychosis and their experience. And then it's just there for them to, to know that other people are doing it at the same time and they have resources to connect with other people and ask questions in that moment of like trying to figure out how to represent it. Because imagine if you've gone through the experiences, like knowing how to represent it might be a difficulty in and of itself. But knowing that other people are doing it at the same time might give people more courage to want to do it. Nice. I like that. And so your approach to delving into these topics includes conducting that type of ethnographic fieldwork and using the information you gather to publish a multimedia comics poetry. How do you think that using this qualitative approach will aid you in your research? Hmm. Um, so I think like we already kind of know like the, the, the stuff that the other researchers do in terms of psychosis and that literature is definitely out there. And I think anthropology itself is mostly like from the stuff that I do is more qualitative, like with sociocultural anthropology than all the other disciplines subdisciplines within there but I think it kind of needs to be qualitative because we're dealing with like internal experiences and emotions and like you're not really going to register that so much with a number that those kinds of languages and metrics aren't really meant to capture those things so I think art and qualitative research is like the best register for capturing what the emotions and experiences and the tone of what these experiences are like so the easiest way with our current tools and technology to get access to the internal world is through art i think like i don't know any other way like they you can't necessarily video capture like what somebody's going through subjectively if you had someone like link, their brain linked up to kind of a video capture thing that in terms of what the their their sensory field is kind of giving them to experience so i think this is the best way we have and it's a tool we've had for a very long time and I think like a lot of people who've gone through psychosis and different mental health um, experiences kind of gravitate to arts anyways and art and qualitative means to kind of process what their experiences so one thing you kind of tell the story about it so you can think about how what that story means for you so there's not necessarily a direct meaning to these stories but like it's through the activity that we create the meaning and then how we plot ourselves in that meaning and grow from it. And so then you're kind of contributing to this type of restoring. And so I was going to ask, how does restoring psychosis contribute to world making? So I think like the the importance of that question has to deal with like, so once you, like the, the idea of these things, like these mental health conditions are very like, what we've been taught is that they're very stigmatic and problematic and they're like almost like death sentences. You don't really have a life anymore. Like you experience the notion of a social death. Um, in terms of like getting that, like you're become known as this mad person, this schizophrenic, this bipolar, this problematic person. So I think the what this does, the ability to kind of restore it, it kind of pushes the that 
notion of way of that labeling so much and kind of like how what do we think about it as individuals and people having gone through these things and you kind of realize like how human these experiences are and then um so the, the ability to kind of have that distance there and kind of reinterpret these things are, are very important for being able to see the possibility in what we are as humans and then kind of direct that to to new kinds of futures because you kind of see how we've been dealing with mental health for a while in terms of the psych ward and that that rehabilitation process and where that kind of leads people into being consumers of like um consumers of different kinds of medicine and all that kind of stuff so i think it gives us the idea of like maybe there's a different different route of care we can take and that maybe that creates a different potential for our health so i think being able to plot ourselves along a different story like can create a different kind of future for ourselves and like when there's such a crisis of like how people are experiencing mental health and not necessarily getting the care that they need through our current apparatus of healthcare. Um, I don't know if you've heard the, the current things that are happening in Victoria around those issues. Like there's a huge crisis with the mental health psych ward there in terms of like the psychiatrist not always maybe giving the best care for people. And there's like a huge Facebook group now that has like over 2000 people are talking about their abuses from that psychiatric system. So there's a whole notion of psychiatric survivors in terms of like, People don't always get the support they need through the psychiatric systems, and it's a, it's a complicated issue. No one really has a direct answer, but I think like we can think about how to tool ourselves and give ourselves a better understanding of who we are. We can probably move through those difficult experiences with more ease, like even if we're experiencing distress. A lot of the reasons why we have experiences of psychosis and mental breakdowns is because we don't know who we are as people. So if you understand who yourself as a person, then it's easier to kind of like, okay, I know I'm going through a difficult time, but at least I know who I am and I know how to get to next step. But if I don't know who I am and nobody's really willing to help me or able to help me when I'm having a psychological crisis, a, a moment of like thinking about suicide, like how, are we, how am I going to get to the next step? Mm. That's really deep. It's like a huge psychoanalysis of the human form, I guess. It's really interesting how you're trying to be introspective in not only like the psychosis narratives, but how that relates to human beings in general. I think it's really powerful what you said about, you know, in order to understand these narratives, you need to understand yourself or how that circles into itself. Kind of meta, kind of convoluted. Yeah. It's a complicated topic and like there's no really understands why psychosis happens in full. Um, that's one of the issues. But in terms of psychiatry, like there's the biomedical and more like physical explanations with the dopamine hypothesis. Um, and that kind of like deals with like there's a certain amount of like neurotransmitters are in your brain at a certain amount of time and like certain levels create a sense of like what the delusions might produce or whatever. But even that's kind of like not fully understood and not all the links of that. So there really is no like direct causation and understanding of like why mental health exists like or, like why the issues and problems of mental health exist in the human brain we, we really haven't fully understand that and neuroscience is still very much an infant discipline and we still don't really know very much um around those things about the complex productions of like consciousness and all those things that we kind of help us understand these things so there's the the leading theory in terms of like some of the stuff that i've looked at, at psychosis in terms of the medical science is more about the uh, dopamine hypothesis, but also like there's definitely different variants of uh, psychiatry and some psychiatry looks at the notion of self is more of a philosophical concept. And like basically 
like the breakdowns of what a minimal self is like the minimal requirement for us to understand and experience ourselves is like so like once that breaks down like then there can be problems in terms of our our experience of symptoms those are like one 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 sense of that but like even within a lot of the social cultural stuff i look at like a lot of it is around building like narratives and understanding the self and like a lot of the previous research on madness and altered states had to do communities how they kind of thought about consciousness and mental health and how they thought about altered states and like how people practice different things like shamanism or trans and like those are definitely different phenomenon but just understanding that there's such a breadth towards our minds and our human experience and especially when you push it to kind of like the intense level of it and then like beyond the tense intense level there's a certain level of it where people just cannot function but i think it's like understanding that there's more range within human possibility and that's kind of where i want to think about like within our experiences of madness and psychosis i'm not necessarily always a detrimental thing like i think it kind of opens our possibilities a little bit more but there's definitely a range of it where it's like not really functional but i think some of it is just just dealing with our deep capabilities to think and be in this world so once we connect to more of that we can kind of understand reality better and like when i say reality i don't necessarily mean like they're like the understanding of reality is that we use language and symbols to construct a sense of reality and that's different from what what real what the real is the real is more or less like the real thing in and of itself which we can never really know but we have ways of kind of skirting around that through language and re- structures of language and reality so like the notion of psychi- psychosis kind of really plays with what those things are. We want to kind of look at psychosis because it gives us a point of reference to kind of understand ourselves, but also critique the the systems that are largely maintaining and controlling it right now, which would be psychiatry. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I guess psychiatry differs uh, depending on the society that you're in. And so what can experiences with psychosis slash alternate states of consciousness teach us about how individuals process culture in society. So uh, a lot of this kind of relates to the way you were asking before. And a lot of this work has kind of already been done by different anthropologists, but the main anthropologist that to look at this would be Tanya Lerman. And within this, she, there's this one article, she talks about a local theory of mind, where basically like what people present in psychosis will often relate to the the what what's already present within the local culture like when i talked about why north america was more violent within schizophrenia is because like the nature of like violence is communicated differently the nature of oppression is communi- communicated differently so it's just our understanding of our local culture almost becomes amplified in these moments of psychosis when our reality gets breakdown because you're kind of piecing together frames of like how am i going to understand this experience and you kind of borrow from your own culture but then it's like some of your own internal subjective stuff so it's a lot of these mix but i think a lot of psychosis is just look you you get a point where you kind of can look deeply inside of yourself and kind of think over your own internal psycho histories and that's like kind of scary for people because they don't really want to look at themselves that deeply often mm. how could building a language to capture expressions of psychosis aid in destigmatizing psychosis so like the interesting um concept that I came across too when I was doing some of my literature reading was um, uh, this idea of incandescent alphabets. So this idea of like how people like you've often probably have seen it in the different representations of like psychosis or madness, but like how people will be frantically creating these notes and memoirs and all these things, this like huge volume of like stuff, but it doesn't really make sense. But so a lot of times when people are going through like 
psychosis or these intense experiences, they'll try to journal it or make sense of it through some kind of representation. And so these kinds of like symbolic notations that don't really make sense because they're trying to capture something that doesn't really have uh, an appropriate expression in language. So I think the, the more we can kind of like bring in those ex symbolic experiences and what the experiences of like psychosis are, um, I think we can understand it better. Like I think any culture or any language, like if, if people in that language have um, do that activity more often they'll have more words around it and more words to describe it so it becomes more familiar people can think around it and have uh, reflect around it so the more we're able to kind of openly talk about psychosis the more equipped we are to kind of deal with it so that's why like it's problematic to think about it as a stigmatized thing because then we gain less ability and skill to deal with it so that's part of the project is to kind of see that people aren't necessarily mad they're mad but they're not mad in a way that they don't understand their reality and experience but that we can understand that they're actively trying to understand their experience and then there's ways to kind of bring that in so part of like mad art is kind of seeing that they have their, their own operating um way, way of operating in the world and like their own way of expressing experience so that's the more we can kind of understand that we can kind of reflect on our own experiences of language and how to broaden that it, it could lead to kind of important changes in thought and expression in terms of like art and science and all those things. Like I, th I think a lot of people like deal with those things, but they don't necessarily, aren't necessarily open about it. Yeah. So this is kind of a teaching and learning way about expression and experiences that could be helpful for people. And then I was going to ask you next, if you were familiar with Mouse or Prisoner on the Hellfront by Art Spiegelman, uh, this is kind of a side note, but in Prisoner on the Hell Planet by Art Spiegelman, we ask ourselves the question, how does man become, air quote, insane? Uh, and your work conveying expressions of psychosis through art-based literary tools such as comics parallels work completed by other authors, um, Art Spiegelman being one example, where the topics of grief or madness are explored not just through text, but also through illustration. So in what ways do you think expressing these topics in illustrative ways contributes to a greater understanding of these narratives? I think it's something that we always have to do as human beings. Like if you go through like the long reading like um, of like Foucault and the history of madness, you realize that every every point in history, like in every cultural formation and every formation of society, they'll have a notion of what madness is. So like each each society in each point in history, we kind of have to like rethink these things and like have moments where we're actively reflective through the, through art to kind of understand these experiences. So I think these things are always kind of up for grabs. They're never like unnecessarily def defined this way. And like the definition of madness have they've changed over time. Like madness in some contexts is a very positive thing. Like you have a connection with the divine. Like you have a better understanding of the world. Um, Whereas, like in like in different different cultures and in terms of the, the psychiatry and, and some movements, like where it seems as such a limiting and stigmatizing thing. So I think that's kind of important to know that like these things are always shifting and changing depending on the context. So there's no no givens here. Um, and again, it, it's a, like madness kind of like it, it's always in frustration with what is normative. Um, so it's kind of like if we can understand the kind of borderlines between those things, like we get a better understanding of the breadth of who we are. So there's always those discussions that are up for grab. So yeah, I think I think it's it's important that we have moments to always go through and think about and illustrate these things and talk about them. So it's more the more 
positive discussion we can have about these things is important. Um, and again, this is something you can find, like if you look at the history of literature, like there are so many references to madness, um, like as far back as the Epic of Gilgamesh, you can see examples of like what sadness and madness are when like Gilgamesh loses his best friend and like, what do you do in a world when you're alone? And again, like even like in the in the Renaissance literature with the fairy queen, like when one of the characters meets despair. So yeah, you kind of see those those moments where the allegory of that story kind of speaks to like the symbolic interaction where like certain characters are talking about complex emotion through through narrative and story. So those things have always existed. We've always used narrative and story to talk about complicated and emotional things. And it's just interesting too. Like I'm not as familiar with um, Art Spiegelman and I probably should as someone who is working in comics. That's probably why you picked that example. But I haven't actually read that text, but I imagine it provides a, their own particular insight into that and how they're wanting to express what madness is and what, what does it take to, to make someone insane? And that, that's an interesting question in and of itself. And I think like right now we're so forced to blame the individual for being insane when it's really more of a, everything around that individual contributes to why they're experiencing their insanity. I think that's usually the, the common critique. It's not like, we know how to make somebody healthy. We know how to make somebody not so healthy. Like it's how much resources do we want to spend on somebody and within our current system of capitalism, like how we don't deal with it as a community and we shuffle somebody off to a psych ward, even like use police to kind of take them away to do that kind of stuff. Like it's so dehumanizing and how psych wards in them themselves can produce symptoms like psychosis because of isolation and isolation in and of itself is torture, like under UN. Um, so... <laughs> These these are these are complicated things. I think like basically it's the the environment is largely why people become insane. Because um, you if someone is well connected and integrated, they will have no reason to to kind of question who they are, where they are, like why why would they? Um, but it's just like not not valuing people is why people go insane. Oh, it's such a good thing that you said that. <laughs> I think that's a really good response. Not valuing people is why they go insane. And so what's next for you in terms of the study? Is there anything you'd like to highlight that we didn't discuss? Um, I guess like a lot of the stuff that I do, like a lot of the preliminary work that I do, a lot of volunteering. I volunteered a lot within these mental health communities, like particularly Foundry Victoria. I mean, I, and I worked a little bit with Foundry in in Kelowna as well when I was with, working with the Canadian Mental Health Association. So one of like the side projects that I've done, like as a PhD student, you have all this extra time to do all these extra side projects. But um, I I founded the Unquiet Minds project. And what I did was do, I did some fundraising. I did this um, initially in Kelowna, a spoken word event with um, music and poetry where for youth to kind of discuss about these issues. So I was able to, to sell out a venue there. At a, at a coffee shop and we did did some fundraising for the foundry and Kelowna. So I, I kind of wanted to do something similar. So when I moved to Victoria and started my PhD, I looked for kind of like different funding opportunities. So I got some funding from the city, um, city of Victoria and the Center for Youth and Society at UVic. And uh, for this last while, I've been putting on youth workshops for poetry. So kind of like helping youth kind of process like their own experiences and kind of develop as, as creative writers and poets. And then uh, like this last December, I was able to put on a, an open mic with music and poetry and for um, to kind of create uh, more awareness around mental health in our community. So just like stuff like that I've been engaged with right now. And 
right now we're working on an anthology of youth poetry and art that we've pretty much gotten the submissions that we need. So I'm <laughs> working on the book itself. Um, it'll be a really nice book of poetry and art to kind of see how people are processing um, their own experience of mental health. This project is not really necessarily related to psychosis. It's just generally about people's mental health and being youth and how they want to kind of talk about those topics. So those are some of the other side projects that kind of like that I do with the, the organizations that will be instrumental with my future fieldwork. But so I've been building those connections for a while, but it's just good to know that there are resources out for people who want to do creative work within mental health in our own communities. There's another just like interesting stuff that I do for fun. Like I'm really interested in typewriters. Um, I find them <laughs> interesting as interesting as a, as a writer. So I, I like I have a few typewriters myself, but I wanted to like have my poetry and other typewriters. So I've, I found other people and friends to collaborate with. So I did the first one where I wrote a poem and then my friend kind of typed it up and I did an interview with my friend about that process of like learning the poem and typing it out. And then when this long kind of interview and that first interview is on my website. And then I'll be doing a second one with somebody who's local to Victoria. So I'm always interested in like collaborating with people on interesting projects, like just to, to do those things. Like I find writing on typewriter is fun. So I wanted to find a way to share that with other people that are interested in creative writing and poetry and just a different way to process these things. And I, you can get some kind of interesting interviews depending on when you run and take things. So I also do other kinds of interviews, but yeah, anthropologists are pretty pretty common to, to do interviewing as one of our main skill sets. Nice. Is there anything else you'd like to say or leave us off with? Yes, you can easily reach out to me at my website, www.luke-kernan.com. I post information on all my major content, news, and worker-related releases there. You can find all my typewriter series interviews on the site. Also, feel free to connect with me on social media. I have icons for my various accounts at the bottom of each page. Well, thank you so much, Luke, for your time and interviewing with me today. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, thanks. listening to Beyond the Jargon, a podcast series that aims to demystify the work of graduate students here at the University of Victoria. This episode was conducted with anthropology PhD candidate Luke Kernan. For more information about this episode, and for more information about Luke, head over to cfuvpod.ca. This podcast was produced by CFUV with financial support from the University of Victoria's Graduate Student Society. CFUV is a nonprofit radio station broadcasting from the University of Victoria campus, which is situated on the traditional territories of the Wasanich and the Kwangan peoples. The music featured in this episode includes Tomorrow by Space Monkey Death Sequence, Ambient by Damiano Baldoni, and Outro Music is Icon by Artist Body Lens. From Treaty 7 to the Kwangan territories, I'm your host, Funaro Basoye.